It was recording before. No, okay. <laughs> Testing. No, they can edit that thing. It's a tape recorder. Anyway, um, so we're going to discuss um, Noah and leading up to Noah from Adam to to Noah. And while I was doing some reading, um, I started reading a little bit about the genealogy from Adam to Noah and the age of the individuals when they pass, Adam, Seth, Enosh, uh, I think it's Kenan, then Methuselah, and then Jared, and then Enoch. No, not Methuselah, it was the other Methuselah. There's two different ones. Anyway, I was not marking down the, the years that they were born, what they would do in the Bible, obviously it talks about at what age they begat the next. And then what I was doing was putting the numbers together. And I heard a sermon not too long ago concerning Methuselah. Uh, from what I understand, he's the oldest living person ever recorded in the Bible. Who knows that age? 369. Or 969. Very good, very good. I would say you're off by 600 years. No, 300 was a teenager. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now he's the oldest recorded, so we don't know for sure if he's the oldest person that ever lived, but he is definitely the one that was mentioned by our Lord through the Bible. So one of the interesting things I found out, and, and I've heard a sermon on this a while back, but also just looking for myself when I started breaking out my calculator and counting the numbers. Because during that time, obviously, Adam had many children. He just didn't have the ones that were mentioned by name. There were many. By the time he passed, who knows, countless. Any idea how many people possibly were on the world by the time that Noah passed? Does anybody have any idea, any estimates that any theologian may have given you? There was only eight after the flood. Well, before the flood. Before the flood. Anybody? It's probably thousands thousands and then they had children and so on and then there were other generations of the children after that and it kept going so it, it talks about the children and the population of the world and it's growing but then it stops and it goes back and mentions the lineage of Adam all the way up through Noah and I find that interesting because God doesn't get into detail about all the other folks before that, just that line. And I believe it's referencing the line of the seed of De- or, excuse me, the seed of Adam all the way through to kind of show how we connect together. And he uses that. Um, if someone would be kind to open up Genesis 6, 9, chapter 9. Who would like to read that for me? Genesis 6, 9. Chapter 6, verse 9, sorry. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Okay. So let's stop there. So... It references that Noah walked with God, but before that, it's talking about um, the line up to Noah, and it talks about um, 
Uh, apparently there was some relationship with the Lord with each one of these characters all the way through. Because it doesn't talk about a relationship with the Lord with the rest of the characters. So God was still with man, apparently, through Adam. Now, I'm not saying that they were saved. I don't know exactly how that took place, but I know that there was some kind of mention of lineage of God being with these folks all the way up to Noah. And I found it interesting that Methuselah, being the oldest person ever to live, he died. Well, the other interesting part is Methuselah was alive even during the time of Adam. So he got to even see Adam probably in his life, which is interesting because we think of how big the world was probably population-wise, how huge it was um, at the time, that they actually still, you know, Noah was just two generations removed from actually seeing Adam. And now we're at a point in time when man is no longer, other than this lineage, is no longer walking with God, actually doing their own things. Um, Let me go back to where I was looking at earlier. Okay, start on um, Genesis 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Who would like to read that? And then kind of go through all the way up through verse 4. 1 to 4. Okay. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And then we look at chapter, um, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So man is basically bankrupt at that point. And it was interesting, it talks about the name of, uh, what was that name of the giant? Um, Nephilim? I'm not sure how you say it. Nephilim? Nephilim. Nephilim. It's interesting because certain um, authors say that they think that they are a cross between people that were either de- demonically controlled. It's, it talks about that with certain the- theologians. They weren't just giant, but it kind of alludes to the point where man was totally bankrupt and the the spirit of evil was controlling them and they were doing what they wanted to do. There was no... Go ahead. Doug. The lineage. I, it doesn't say that everybody walked with God in the lineage of Jesus Christ. The lineage isn't going to change because mm-hmm. this person doesn't know the Lord and the next person does. So what I'm saying is we, we, we want to think that the lineage of Jesus... Was everybody was was on cue with God, and I just I, I'm I'm wondering because it doesn't say they all walked with God. No, that's not no. I yeah, I agree. I don't think it says that. Um, it's just showing the line of where it came through. 
But it's important. What, what I thought was unusual was um, when Noah came, when, the, when Noah was called to God and then the flood came, the lineage that it mentions that goes direct from Adam to Noah, it does not, they never had to suffer the death of the flood. They died naturally. Matter of fact, probably the year Methuselah died is when the flood started. So it's an indication of God didn't kill Noah's family directly, his direct lineage that he knew through the flood. In other words, he didn't have to see his grandfather out there dying in the flood. That was interesting. So um, I don't know if anybody has any other points on that, but I thought that was really interesting that he didn't have to see his grandfather die. And I'm sure he had other relatives, but they died before the flood started also. I just thought it was unusual um, because he was chosen by God. But imagine if what I was trying to think of when I was uh, pondering is like, well, imagine if God chose me for some task many years ago to do that. And I was and I knew this doom was coming, the flood. But I still had my grandfather, my father, and they were all alive. And. Were they disbelieving Noah themselves? Anybody know that answer? Is there any question to that? You know, because he had to be building the ark. He had to have been in contact with God. I, was, I just ponder those thoughts and wonder, but I, I find that it was um, kind of the mercy of God that they were able to die a natural death. And Noah didn't have to see his own family, his, well, let's say, his father and his grandfather die in the flood. Imagine that thought if it happened, watching, you know, your relative die drowning. And I just thought that was a merciful thing that God did for him. And um, I don't know if anybody else has any, I'm getting a little deep on that, but does anybody have any thoughts concerning that? Um, Sometimes when we read through the Old Testament, especially read these stories, we kind of read it real quick but we miss a lot of detail, and you can always stop at different details. For instance, the uh, Nephilim people, who they were or what they were. It's interesting that it's mentioned by name, and so it makes you stop and think, why did the Lord mention it by name? What's the significance of it? Who were they? Obviously, they were wicked, right? So... um, those are the kind of thoughts that I get when I'm reading through the Old Testament because sometimes we read through it and we almost read read it as if it's just a fantasy, that these aren't real characters, that they really didn't exist, but we know they did. And actually, especially after the flood, going even into Abraham and on, they're discovering different archaeological um, digs that reference certain things that happened actually in the Bible. Um, and I, I watched the recent one concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. I thought that was interesting. Well, they kind of know where it was at, but there was some evidence possibly, and I say possibly because they don't know for sure, that indicated that, wow, these are the remnants of which could have been the fire and brimstone that came down and uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But So those are some of the thoughts I come across when I'm reading about Noah, but it obviously indicates that man was very wicked they weren't turning their hearts toward God they totally ignored him 
Yet God found mercy and came down and called Noah. Now, do you think Noah was looking for God during that time? Do you think he was seeking God? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Because I saw some indication that when there's a reference to when God first called him, he says he found favor, his eyes found favor on Noah. Well, that same thing happened to Mary when she was chosen to be the bearer of our Lord. Right? It doesn't say that Mary went to God. It says that God found favor in her. And we brought that up in a class one time because think about it. Man is bankrupt. We don't seek after God. No man does. We can't. Our hearts are corrupted. Um... I believe that we're re- we react to a calling when the Lord calls us. And uh, let me give you another reference. Uh, uh, Abraham, what was he doing when God calls him? What was he worshiping? Anybody know? The moon, right? Somehow he's worshiping idols or the moon. Well, if you look at a lot of characters, it seems to be that they're doing something else, but God comes to them first. Moses, yes, Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, the first John it says we love him because he first loved us. But we'll never, never ever love him. Exactly. And I'm wondering. It says when the Bible says God found favor yes. in Moses, Mary, Noah. Exactly. I cannot find favor in you. Unless I know what you've been doing, so maybe they've had they've had to have been doing something that pleased God, and now not by works, but knew God, worshipped Him, did it in the right way. Um, I don't. You're you're what you're saying is, he, he God found favor on Noah, saved him, and then made him build an ark. Or chose him. As chose him. He found favor. Why did he favor him? Well, let me ask you this question. Yes, we don't know the answer to that. Noah didn't do anything. We haven't done anything to find grace. In God's eyes. Let me, let me translate that argument, and I've often thought about this in a different way. Um, any of you children, raise your hand who wants a question asked to them. What's your favorite color? Do you have a favorite color? Who has a favorite color? All right. Somebody pick your favorite color and tell me what that is. Blue. Blue. Why? Did blue do anything special to you? No. For anybody else? What's your favorite ice cream? Blue. All right. Well... I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm, what I'm trying to show is, why did God choose Paul, the apostle? What was Paul doing that made God choose him? He was killing people. Was oh, killing oh was that in the favor of God? No. Go ahead. 
I was hoping somebody to get the Romans or Ephesians because uh, that's where a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he says, right? Because he says. So think about that, Jacob. I've loved Esau. I hated. Where were they when that was occurred? Where were they when that occurred? Somebody's about to speak in the womb, right? What I'm getting at is the character of who our Father is in heaven. Um. It's hard to understand, and I think it's because our man, our inward man, and sin that lives in us, wants to be in control. We want to dictate why God likes me, and not somebody else that doesn't go to church. We want to think, even as believers, we tend to think that we're better. But God teaches us that we're not, right? Even with ourselves, it's a hard concept to grasp. And I wrestled with it for years before I actually gave in. And I don't believe I gave in. I think God wrestled with me and he made me give in. But I wrestled with that thought because I had the head knowledge of what it was and what it was about, the whole. But I, I, I wouldn't argue with it but I would almost be boastful like you should pick me because I know you exist but what I didn't realize well at the time I may believe that God exists but I wasn't worshiping him I wasn't following him he did that to me and I definitely wasn't worthy so when you God's character is immutable. It doesn't change, right? Why would it change from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Romans to Ephesians? Why would that change? When Adam fell, we were all cursed. God was even sorry. He grieved that man fell, correct? He grieved in his heart. Now, some people think, will say, oh, you know, the... God made a mistake, there's there's flaw, but I don't believe it's that. I, I actually know it's not that because that's against his character. Um, and if God already knew that man could do that in the future, because he knows everything, he's, he's infinite, why would he still grieve? Why would he be sorry that he created man I have or have regret? In some some uh, biblical texts say have regret. Um, some say grieved. Why would he have that if he knew it was going to happen? Those are pondering questions that I have. Does anybody have an answer? Anybody ever think about those things? Well, I do. So, <laughs> quite a bit sometimes. Um, I don't argue it. I just wonder why, you know. And then it comes down to my, me as an individual. Why does he love me? Go ahead, Doug. I see you got a puzzled look. Uh, now, I'm just throwing stuff out to start arguments. So let's uh, that's right. It's fine. Okay. I, I think that a lot in the Bible, words are used so that we can understand it. It's like John trying to describe heaven. Yes. Yeah. He, he can only put it in human terms. Mm-hmm. When we think of grief, we think of our human grief. 
the hurt, the despair, all that. I think the grief of God is different. And, and I don't know what it is. Don't, don't even, I'm not, you know, God didn't reveal it to me. What I'm saying is, his grief is totally different than ours. Because he's so pure that when we mm-hmm. grieve, we have thoughts of, of other things. God, when he would grieve, would be perfectly grieving. And so, I think that we have to be careful when we start talking about when God does this, or God thinks this, or God does this. Because it's put into human terms. Well, you're, you're right. And one of the things I think is confusing, because there's different parts of the, even in the New Testament, where you'll see a verse and it says, that doesn't sound right. Um, where there's a, I don't know exactly where it's at, but it talks about the baptism of a dead. It mentions it in there somewhere. I know the Mormons run away crazy with that. They even built a temple over it. Uh, look at Mormon theology if you want to understand it. Um, but they do that. Sir, you probably know about that or heard of it before, what the Mormons do with that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that you were a Mormon. I'm just saying you're a learned man. I'm sure you know about that or heard it. But as we've learned, that how do you check Scripture to verify that it's correct? Scripture. With other Scripture. And another thing gets lost is sometimes when, we, when it's translated, obviously we're reading the English version. There's several English versions. But sometimes we lose context of culture, of what's actually happening at that point and what it means and how they do things. So that, that can confuse us. So you have to really go back and look at the culture. There's a lot of different examples, even in the Old Testament, things that happened. Even the way as pastor, when he was preaching this Sunday, he talked about the Romans, certain things they did when it came to adoption. I believe that was him. I've heard so many sermons this week. <laughs> they, all, they all start, you know, the way they adopt you, you could be adopted at a certain age, and that is your new parent, and that's the law. Different rules, but when authors are writing those things, those cultural attributes come into play. But going back to this part of it, what I find fascinating, again, was the fact that Whenever I read the Old Testament, I try to stop on certain characters that it's talking about, where there's a story built around it, Abraham, all the way up through. And he used different individuals for different reasons. One of my favorite is Moses. Moses was being raised as a prince, basically. He had wealth. He had no interest in doing anything for God. He violated a law, killed a man, or he struck a man in Egypt, and he had to run away, and he went, ran off and found a wife. Was it Miriam? What was her name? What was his wife? Say again? Zipporah. Zipporah. I forget the names. Um, and he was chasing a uh, runaway sheep up into the hill. <laughs> was he seeking God? I don't think that was the farthest thing on his mind. But I think when God calls you and he comes in your presence, I think you know it. And I think that's happened to everyone that's a true believer. Um, because you know where you sit as a believer, if, when he's in your presence. In other words, you hear the example of lost people. You may have friends that say, oh, when I face God one day, I have a lot to tell him. 
But we know the fact is when you face God, you don't have anything to say. You're, hope, you're lucky if you get to talk. And, um, and I think that these things, theme has occurred throughout the Bible. I bring up the issue of Noah or even Moses or Abraham because I believe they were just living their lives when God appeared to them. I don't believe they were chasing after God. Um, they didn't even have any written rules to really follow other than maybe word of mouth custom. Um, everything that happened to Adam and Eve was probably spoken of through the family all the way through. And I bet Adam and Eve would talk sometimes at night and say, I wish we didn't screw up. I bet you they had regret, right? But we think the same way as human beings, even in now, we're, if you're a believer, you're saved. Um, the other uh, example I um, often like to joke about is why would a person, modern day, New Testament believer, willingly want to alienate their family, their friends, and the normal culture and be a laughing stock for some folks or hated by others because of what you believe. Why would somebody willingly want to do that? Because we naturally don't want to do that. What's that? But he makes us that way. Because I know in my own life playing the church on Sundays, pretend I'm a religious, call myself a Christian, but yet when you're around the world, you're with your buddies, you still go out and do all the things that they do, and there's no sign of any walk with the Lord with you until he changes you. And I think that's the same thing that happens to anyone, even in the Old Testament, all the way up through. Moses was minding his own business, chasing a sheep up a hill. And God says, from a burning bush, calls his name. Well, fear he must have felt. And then makes him do all these tasks to the point where even the Israelites start to turn against him and hate him because, you know, he took them away from their comfort in Egypt. So why would anybody on their right own mind, in their own heart, do that other than God makes you do it? So that's pretty much the point of the lesson, unless somebody wants to add anything. It's thoughts to ponder. I do it often when I'm reading certain chapters in the Old Testament and get different characters of, we see these people do miraculous things and go against the norms of society, whether it's a government, and they do it willingly. But we see sometimes the before where they didn't do it willingly. Go ahead, Deanna. When I've studied scripture, I see that, um, and I've, I've read this also, where there's always a godly line or remnant. Remnant, yeah. Remnant, you know, uh, that's a good word. A people for himself. Mm-hmm. And we have to, uh, and if you follow the family line, which it is laid out here, uh, Noah does come from the godly line of Seth. Yes. And everyone else, you know, who's um, maybe not from that line, but the, the daughters of men, that's the line of Cain. That's the ungodly line of Cain. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have to really kind of read it. But, um, 
And I did read exactly what you said. I did see that he came from a godly line where they recognized God all the way through. So that he was taught as a child. So Noah may have just been, you know, minding his own business one day, and then it says God comes to him and says, you know, you're going to do, there's going to come a flood. Mm -hmm. And then there's a block of time, we don't know how many years, where he gives him further instructions on building the ark. And so his faith is built up. It seems to me that very possibly from Adam and Eve telling their story, passing it on to their children, Mm -hmm. and Noah hearing it too from Lamech and Methuselah, Yes. That the story of Adam and Eve and what happened in the world. And so it seems to me that Noah has this faith in a creator God. Um, that there is a more powerful, higher being than himself mm-hmm. who is directing the affairs of men. And he does see the corruption going on around him. Yeah. Um, and he is watching his own family die out before that flood. So he doesn't watch them drown in the flood. Which is nice. They do mercifully pass away for yeah. time. And then just his family. See, what I was going to do was have Deanna as my mouthpiece because she expresses my thoughts very well. Yeah, I did read that, and I, I probably neglected to mention that. And you're absolutely right. Where at least the lineage from Adam all the way up through the one specified was taught. Adam was teaching them, and so on. you know we we used to live in this great place. We blew it. And then you get to the last part where uh, the Lord saw the wickedness of man right on the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mm-hmm. It was a mess. And we're, I think we're getting there ourselves. We're seeing yeah. this. Is, we're just you know, surrounded by evil and wickedness. And Romans 1. It's a Romans 1 world and God's judgment. But it says here, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and grieved him in his heart. And I think any time we see regretted, grieved, mm-hmm. and Doug was right to point out, I think, about uh, using human vocabulary to describe it. Yeah, so that we can understand it. But we run into another attribute of mm-hmm. God, and that's his wrath. Yes. And so he is more than just grieved, he's angry. He's mm-hmm. angry with the wicked every day. In the Psalms, it tells us that. Psalm chapter 2. So this is another attribute that comes in here to help us understand why he's regretting this. And, but that's a mm-hmm. term, you know, God doesn't regret. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done this. No, yeah, it's not that kind of regret. It's not that. But it's taken that way by a lot of people. Oh, and sometimes we can be fooled as Christians when somebody tells you that, see, you made a mistake, and then you start losing your faith, and wait a minute. So the, the we can't do that. In the sacrifice of those people and Noah mm-hmm. preserving life on that ark. Mm-hmm. We have Noah, I mean Moses, in an ark in the Nile. That little mm-hmm. called an ark. And then the ark of the covenant. Yep. So, I mean, this thing that keeps getting... It goes over and over and over all the way through. And it's just so beautiful. It's, it's pointing to what is to come. And we look back, but that's pointing forward. Well, thank you, Deanna. All right, anybody else have anything? I'm looking at Tim because Tim's looking at me. He, I could tell you he wants to say something. Pastor, anything? Not at this time. Okay, great. Anybody? All right, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to have a uh, 
quick, uh, anybody have any prayer requests or anything like that that we want to bring up? Um, or you can, as you're praying, bring your request in your prayer, and then we're going to have a moment of prayer for about 20 minutes. So um, I guess I'll start out with that. And then uh, when we're done praying, we'll in the evening. Sounds good? This can go on for an hour, guys. 